It's a powerful series as we hear a word from the prophets. This is the prophet Jonah. Jonah's going to teach us what happens when we run from the Lord, the problems that it caused, but when we listen to God, the blessings that it brings. Jonah chapter 1 verse 1 says, the word of the Lord came to Jonah, son of Amittai, go to the great city of Nineveh and preach against it because its wickedness has come up before me. As I was just saying, the greatest love you can ever share with somebody is the message that God loves them, but he's also going to judge them. If we don't talk about God's judgment, we're making God's character look bad. If I let kids in my house, my children, beat each other up, what does that say about me as a father, that I approve of that? If I let people sell drugs in my house, what does that say of me and my character? If God lets this world keep going on as it is, what does that say about his character? And so when we hear people say, only God can judge me, we should say, that's right, and that should scare you, right? That should scare you that only God can judge you because it's not going to be pretty when he judges, but he gives us mercy by giving us the judgment. Now, notice this. God does not say to Jonah, I'm going to go send angels to go talk to them. He says, I'm going to go use you. So let me ask you a question. When Jonah went, was he a man? He was a man, wasn't he? So was a man giving God's judgment? Yes. Can we give the judgment of God? Yes. I can give the judgment. How many of you aren't police, but you know the law? How many know you're not police, but you know the law, and you should share it with somebody you see breaking the law? Now, especially if you don't want to see them get arrested, right? Let's say you had a friend come from England, come visit you, and they want to start driving on the left side of the road. Are you going to wait for a policeman to pull them over, or are you going to tell them, hey, man, what you doing? Now, what are you going to do if they say to you, now, don't judge me. You're not the police. What would you say? I don't have to be the police to know the law, right? Or what if somebody started taking a beer can, walking around the neighborhood with an open bottle? You would say, hey, man, you can't take the party with you on the streets over here. There's an open bottle law here. If you have an open bottle on the streets, you're going to get in trouble. And once again, if they say, what, are you the police? Man, you can't judge me. You're not the police. What, where's your badge? You would say, I don't have to be the police to know the law. Now, nudge your neighbor if they speed. Nudge your neighbor if you got a speeding neighbor. How many know you don't have to be the police to be in your friend's car and go, slow down, Jack? We're not in the Indy 500. You see those numbers right there? They're not suggestions. <laughs> it says 35 for a reason. Well, you ain't no police. Come on. But listen, when they get that ticket, they're going to be upset that nobody told them. Come on. Jonah, get this, is a person just like us getting a word from the Lord to go talk about judgment. That doesn't mean he's better than anybody else. Oh, you think you're better than me. No, that doesn't mean I'm better than you. It just means I got the judgment. If you watch Judge Judy and you see the judgment she makes and then you tell your neighbor, oh, did you see what happened to that couple? That couple was in a fight. You know, the husband and wife were in a fight as they were getting a divorce about who was going to get the car. You know, it was in her name and, and, and he was making the payments. And so she made the decision that since he was making the payments, she should put it in his name or something. You know, and, and then the judgment was made. If you tell your friend, Judge Judy said X, Y, and Z, does that now make you the judge? No, you're just telling your friend the judgment. This does not make me the judge holding on to this Bible. But what it does make me is a representative of the judge. And so God speaks to a man and says, as a man, Jonah, I want you to go tell other men and women what my judgment is. That's what we're supposed to do. We're supposed to do it in love. We're supposed to do it because we care about people. I mean, let's just think about it one more time. Let me give you another example. If you knew that somebody was going to detonate a bomb in a place that you worked or a school you went to, wouldn't that be your job to tell somebody? And as a matter of fact, if you didn't tell somebody and you knew about it, you would be what? An accomplice. You, you could be an accessory to that. They could actually put criminal charges against you. Well, guess what the Bible says? The Bible says if you know what this says and you don't say it to other people, on the day of God's judgment, when they're getting punished, God's going to say, there's going to be blood on your hands. He's going to embarrass you in front of them, in other words, and say, you should have said something to them. So that's where we get the idea that our hands should be cleansed from the blood of all men. We should be clean from the blood of all men. No one here should be able to go to judgment day and say, my pastor didn't tell me about this. As a matter of fact, I'll be standing next to Jesus and go, I told you so. 
Really, I'm being honest with you, and my, when my wife was talking about it, and I don't mean to be disrespectful for those who have passed. I do respect their family, but there was a young man that came to this church. I could say his name. He's already on the news, and he was found as a 25-year-old man shot and stabbed in front of his house, and he was known to be a drug dealer and to be involved with drugs and gangs, and I could stand right next to his, right next to his open casket or clothes because he might have got tore up too much. I could stand right next to it and say, I told you so. See, it gets quiet when I preach like that, but it's tight, but it's right. I told you so. I told you so. I told you not to go on those streets. I told you not to do those things. You would be alive right here. You would be, and I'm not saying uh, that bad things can't happen to good people. Innocent people get robbed and hurt all the time. But this person put himself into that position over and over and over again. And it's like, I told you so. And so God gives the word to Jonah, but look at what Jonah does in verse 3. But Jonah ran away from the Lord and headed for Tarshish. Is there anybody here that God has spoken to you to do something and you have run away? Oh, it's quiet. Okay. Now I got to figure out what's going on because I asked that same question in the first service and they were quiet. And I said, oh, it was the second service people? And they were like, yeah, yeah, it's the second service people. They hear from God and they run away. But you see, I'm here now and nobody's amen in me. So I got to ask you, who are these people that run away from God? Let me ask this again. Has the Lord ever told you to do something and you have run away? Have you been there before? I have. I can keep you here with stories where the Lord has told me, go tell so-and-so something that I got them to, to, to hear. You got to go tell them. And I say, God, I don't want to do that. That's going to be embarrassing. God loves embarrassing us. You know why? Because he's just like any father. Fathers love embarrassing their kids. But listen, they do it because they love us. I was, I was snowboarding one day. That's what, you know, that's what I was told you guys before. That's what white people like to do. Anybody Latino like to snowboard? I want to see some gente. One Latino like to snowboard. Any African-Americans like to snowboard? What about my Asian? You like, you like to snowboard? You like to snowboard my Asian brother? No? Okay. So, so we go snowboarding. And I was catching the lift to go up to the mountain to come back down. Well, technically here it's hills, so I'm going up to the hill and coming back down. And I'm just talking to this dude, and not a lot of people are out, so I'm seeing him as we go up together, we come down together, up together, come down together, we're becoming friends. And as I'm hanging out with him, I hear the Lord tell me to ask him what he does for a living so that I can start a conversation that goes a little bit deeper than just about the weather, and I'm supposed to ask him this and then go on and preach the gospel to him. So I ask him, what do you do for a living? And he goes, man, I'm a janitor. And I just heard in my heart, the moment he said that, I heard in my heart, he's lying, he's a police officer. I heard it in my heart instantly. But you see, I felt God wanted to embarrass me to make me look bad. I thought maybe it was a silly thing that I just heard in my heart. So I didn't say anything back to him. I go, oh, okay, you're a janitor, right? I go, man, I'm a pastor. I love Jesus, so forth and so on. We, we get up to the top. We go down, uh, you know, go snowboarding down, and we go back up to get up again. And you know what he says? Man, I feel convicted. You're a pastor. I want to tell you the truth. I'm really a police officer. I don't tell people that because of how it's like in the city. You know, we're out in one of these suburb areas. And he goes, I just don't like to tell people. I'm on my day off, but yeah, I'm a police officer. And then I listened. I tried to preach the gospel to him. Like, oh, man, God's got a plan for you. But he was just stone cold. I never got through. I wonder what would have happened if I would have said, hey, man, this may sound weird, but I want to tell you when, you, when you just said you are a janitor, I felt something in my heart say you weren't a janitor. By chance, are you a police officer? What do you think that would have done as an opportunity to show him how real God was? But here I am, even as a pastor, here I am being all sensitive, being all shy. I don't want to look stupid, and I miss my opportunity. See, Jonah was a prophet of the Lord as a real person because as we get into this story, you know, we're going to hear about him getting swallowed up by a big fish, and I'm going to talk about why I believe that in a moment, but some people think maybe this is a myth. It's not a myth. If you go to the notes and scroll up a little bit, good sir, you'll see I put the Second Kings reference right there. Go, go down, and you can see it. You can see that 2 Kings chapter 14, verse 25 says he had already received words from the Lord. So this is not a problem with him just wanting not to do what God has said. There's a deeper issue in his heart why he's running away this time, and it's a real story that we can relate to. It's not a myth. So he runs away from the Lord, heads to Tarshish. He goes down to Joppa to get this ship to go to Tarshish, where he found a ship boarded for that port. After paying the fare, he went aboard and sailed for Tarshish to flee from the Lord. What is he fleeing from? 
He's fleeing from the Lord. I don't know about you, but I have fleed from the Lord before, and it's not good. And there's different levels. Some people are still saved, but they're just like kind of saved, you know, as they're fleeing from the Lord. It's like if they were to die, technically they would go to heaven, but man, they are far from what God wants for them. And then there are others, man, you have fleed from the Lord, and if you were to die, you would go to hell. I mean, I've been in both of those situations, you know, and I can tell you neither one of them is good, okay? So I'm not going to sit here and use the example of Jonah to try to promise you you're going to get second and third chances because Jonah's going to get another chance from fleeing from the Lord because you might have already used up your chances and this may be your last chance. I'm being honest with you. This may be your last chance because you're not promised tomorrow. I always tell the, the story about my, my sister dying, drinking, driving, but the part that I never share, uh, hardly ever talk about, is that I won my sister to the Lord. I led her to the Lord by God's grace just a few weeks before she died. And I told her, I said, you got to stop drinking. You got to stop living with this dude you're not married to. You know, you got to stop this stuff. And she called me up for a few days and was, you know, saying, man, I'm trying, you know, keep studying the word with me, help me, pray for me. And then I would do it. And then after a few days, she stopped calling me. And then I called up my mom and I said, mom, what's going on with Jenny? She said, oh, she's just doing the same old, same old again. You see, that was her last chance. You see, Jenny thought it was going to go on like it had always gone on. But what she didn't know is that was her last chance. That was the last time the Lord was reaching out his hand to her going, come on, take it, take it. Come on, follow me. You'll never know that life again. Come on, follow me. It may be hard, but it's worth it. Get out of your past into your future. That was what my, my Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, was offering her. But then what's the next call I got? Well, it wasn't really a call. It was a call my mom got. Woke me up in the middle of the night. She had died drinking and driving. And so the next time I saw her was in a casket. See, God's hands are clean, isn't he? I mean, God can't be blamed for that. Are you guys listening to me? And so I can't promise you just because Jonah had another chance and it went good for him and the story ends well today, I can't promise you that's the way it's going to be for you because today may be your last chance. So nobody leave out of here without God in your heart, amen, and doing the will of God. So then verse 4, the Lord sent a great wind on the sea and such a violent storm arose that the ship threatened to break up. All the sailors were afraid and each cried out to his own God and they threw the cargo into the sea to lighten the ship. How many know if you're seeing sailors afraid and you're on the boat, it's something to be afraid of, right? I mean, if you're on a plane and the stewardess buckles up and her face turns white, you know there's going to be some problems, okay? And, and you know that life is real, man. Like life is where you don't want to die. Most of us don't want to die. So these people don't want to die, so they're throwing off whatever they can. For the equivalent of us, this would be like us being in an airplane and then them dropping cargo and saying, this thing is pretty much going to crash, so we're going to try to do the best we can to glide on in. That's what's happening. So a storm comes. But Jonah had gone down below deck where he lay down and fell into a deep sleep. So these guys are freaking out. He's in a deep sleep. The captain went to him and said, how can you sleep? Get up and call on your God. Maybe he will take notice of us so that we will not perish. See, right here you have is the deep sleep of a backslider. You see, they're all freaking out going, man, what in the world is going on? This dude's just catching Z's because he knows what's going on. He's trying to ignore it. Have you ever noticed that people who normally cause the messes then tried to ignore the mess? You see, and then their mess bothers other people, and they're just walking around going, what mess are you talking about? What mess are you talking about? Man, you're the one that caused this whole mess. But you know what's happened is their heart has gotten so hard. Okay, let's talk about, make it plain. Let's talk about distant dads. You know, the distant dad, he had the sex. He was the one that gave the seed to the baby mama to have the baby. But now dad's nowhere around. And then when he shows up, the mom's all stressed out. The kids are all stressed out. But he comes in his new Jordan's like, what's the problem? Let me get the kids. I'm going to take them for an hour to Chuck E. Cheese. It's like, hold on, Jack. You haven't been here this whole time. And you're part of the reason why this whole problem is the way it is. You're sleeping when you should be working. But it also shows me that he knew he could trust God because he was just like probably, man, if this thing's going down, it's going down. There's nothing I can do to stop this. Like if this is really my God bringing judgment, y'all throwing off stuff ain't going to stop it. He's going to sink the ship. So God is probably dealing with him internally in his heart. He's trying to get away from the, the responsibility. And then now look what happens. Then the sailors said to each other, come, let us cast lots to find who is responsible for this calamity. And casting lots was just a way like they would uh, do dice and put symbols on it that people could know the future or different things. And God is gracious. Check this. 
God is gracious to let people do that at times to get to know him, but he doesn't approve it as a practice. So don't you start looking at the horoscopes, those different things. But can God use things that you used to do that were wrong to speak to you? Yes, he can. He can speak to you in that club. He can speak to you when you're hanging around with those friends that you're not supposed to. But the idea isn't to now become a a lot caster and become like somebody that's superstitious. The idea is learn your lesson and then learn how to have a relationship with God. Because if you notice, Jonah didn't have to cast a lots. He's like, y'all do all that to find out it's me. I already know it's me. I know it's my God, right? But they have to cast the lots, you know, kind of like pulling straws. Who is it? And then it's Jonah with the smallest straw. I'm like, oh man, you're the one. So then the sailors said to each other, come, let us cast lots to find out who's responsible for this calamity. They cast lots and the lot fell on Jonah. So they asked him, tell us who is responsible for making all this trouble for us? What kind of work do you do? Where do you come from? Where is your country? From what people are you? How many know they got the right to be nosy? We're about ready to die. We want to know some stuff. Like spill the beans right now. And I just want to ask you a question. This is another question. Got to make it relevant to our lives. I'm not saying every storm is a judgment of God, but I'm just asking you, are there any storms that you're facing today that we need to ask those questions? Man, why are you in such a terrible relationship again? Who are you dating? (laughs) Come on. Sometimes, you, you know, you hear that same girlfriend call you up, always complain about the same boyfriend. Sometimes you need to ask him 20 questions. Where'd you meet him at? Who is he? Why don't I ever see him at church? Come on. And then it's the same people calling you up about not having money all the time. And you got to ask them, how many hours have you put in? What have you been spending your money on? Why do you go to Starbucks every day? Right? And you, you, you got to ask these questions. There's a reason. There's a reason why most people are in a stormy season. Listen, I have been in an accident where somebody ran a red light, went right into the side of the car, broke my wife's ankle in many places, messed up our life for about three months. My wife couldn't do anything. She was in her bed, always at home, and those different things. I don't think that was God's way of punishing me to spend more time with my kids and learn how to treat my wife better. God wasn't doing it that way. Now, something good came out of that. I spent more time with my wife, appreciated her more, and I was with my kids more. So I don't look at the world superstitiously and say, every bad thing is God punishing me, okay? How do you know when it's actually God punishing you? When he told you, if you do this, I'm going to punish you. When he tells you, stop doing something stupid, and then it's going to punish you. So take, for example, let's say I had been drinking that night, and then I was not aware that someone was running a red light, so I didn't stop in time. Then God could use that to teach me, stop drinking and driving before you kill your family. So here's what I want to do. I want to ask y'all to look into your own personal lives, any stormy area you have in your life right now, to be bold enough, courageous enough to ask God, did I do something to deserve this? Just be bold enough to do that because it may be part of your fault. Now, if God speaks to your heart and, and you, know, you don't hear any judgment, then just know it's just a bad situation. Bad things happen to good people. How many understand what I'm saying? So I don't want people walking around going, you know, you got cancer because you didn't share with me you're in Lote the other day. Now you got cancer and, and you, know, you didn't give me a ride to church. That's why somebody stole your car, you know? You know I, I, let's not go around doing that. It, it should be clear and obvious that someone has violated something God has done or said to them, and then now they're suffering the punishment. So let's go back to this story. They ask him all these questions, and in verse 9, he's very clear. He doesn't run away from it. He answered, I'm a Hebrew. I worship the Lord, the God of heaven, who made the sea and the dry ground. This terrified them, and they asked, what have you done? They knew he, has, he was running away from the Lord because he had already told them so. So we get a little understanding of the story. He probably was just talking about it all the time. Hey, man, I'm a prophet. I'm going over here to Tarsus to run from my God. Don't worry about it. It's going to be a good, a good sailing ship today. You know, it's going to be smooth sailing, in other words. And then all of a sudden, everything's going literally to hell in a handbasket. Now they're asking him all the questions again. And then now they're terrified because they're like, yeah, you did tell us this. You told us this from the beginning. We didn't believe you. We thought you were just like every other crazy person we would take on a trip. But now we know we're all going to die because of you. Thank you very much. Look at verse 11. The sea was getting rougher and rougher, so they asked him, what should we do to you to make the sea calm down for us? It's like, dude, what do we got to do to make this right? I love Jonah because he just, he knows he's running from God. Like there's just, there's no faking it with this guy. He's like, pick me up, throw me into the sea, he replied, and it will become calm. I know this is my fault that has brought this great storm upon you. Somebody say, it is my fault. 
If you could highlight that in the notes, I want you to remember this for the rest of your life. It is my fault. I wonder how many marriages would be better today if husbands and wives could look at each other when they're wrong and say, it is my fault. I wonder how much better the politics of this city and this nation would be if politicians could literally just look at their people every now and then and go, it is my fault. I wonder how many children could get along better with their parents today if they would just admit when they broke curfew, when they were out with the wrong friends, when they really failed the grade because they weren't doing what's right and said, it is my fault. Let's all say together, one, two, three, it is my fault. How many things are you in right now that you need to admit it's my fault? I mean, let's just be real. It's my fault. It's my fault I'm 20 pounds overweight. (laughs) It's not my wife's good cooking. It's not that I've gotten eight more kids or I have a dozen kids. I have six, but, you know, sometimes it feels like eight or a dozen, whatever. You know what I'm saying? I got so many. No, but it's, it's, this, this is my fault. It is my fault. There are things in my life that are my fault. Jonah just owned up to it. It's my fault we're in the midst of this storm. I want to ask you to learn from Jonah and admit the things that are your faults. Now, that doesn't mean that God won't forgive us of our faults and change us to not keep making the same faults, but what he's asking for us is, first of all, to admit it. Just like they say in Alcoholics Anonymous, the first thing is to get over denial and admit who you are. I'm an alcoholic. I have messed up people's lives. I have done this to myself. I know many here come from troubled families and backgrounds where you're used to pointing to the, to the things that happened to you, and that makes a lot of sense. It does. But the decisions you're making now are on you. That's your fault. For example, because let's say, going back to the daddy issue, if your daddy's not around you now, that is true. That's an issue. But your daddy ain't making you date that joker right now and have sex outside of marriage so you could become another uh, baby mama. That's not your dad's fault. That's your fault. He might have contributed to that, but that's not his fault. That's your fault. Yes, nobody might have taught you how to balance a budget. I get that. And you always looking at your checking account like you looking at, you know, like a prayer request, like, Lord, I hope I got enough in here. And then as you're swiping, you're praying, God, don't let this come back, you know, uh, unapproved or declined. God, I pray this happens, right? But that is, that, that, just because you didn't have good financial wisdom because somebody didn't teach it to you doesn't mean now that's not your fault. You're buying stuff you shouldn't buy. The point is is right here. He goes, I know it's my fault. I created the mess. Now just throw me over and let's let's just get it over with. He's pretty much thinking he's going to die. Now instead, the men did their best to row back the land. So they're like, man, we're not going to kill this guy. But they could not, for the sea grew even wilder than before. Then they cried out to the Lord. Now they're talking to the God of heaven and earth. They're like, we're going to talk to your God, not our God. We're going to talk to the main God. Please, Lord. Do not let us die for taking this man's life. Do not hold us accountable for killing an innocent man for you, Lord, have done as you pleased. Now, this is where we have to understand God is not going to give you permission to kill anybody. Do not apply this in your life. Children, do not go home and do this, okay? God, I'm just throwing my, my brother out the door so that this house can be blessed now. Okay, no, no. You, can't, you don't have permission to throw your siblings out the house, okay, or throw somebody off the boat. This, this is where we go, specific situation. Specific situation, but we get application. And believe it or not, many people have died trying to walk on water like Peter. Didn't know how to swim, just jumped out of a boat in the middle of an ocean, tried to walk on water. See, if it's not directed to you, it's not for you. So this direct command can be applied to you in the sense of get rid of whatever is hindering you. So if you got a Jonah in your life that's not right, get it out your life and let them get right. Because you can't fix them and yourself at the same time. Can I get an amen for that? Now, that doesn't mean we then kill them and cast them off the Sears Tower, but that's the application. The legitimate command for that time was take this dude Jonah and throw him out to sea. The application is throw out anybody in your life that's running from God causing storms in your life and watch how quickly your life will go back to normal. Amen? Because messy people love messes. That's just the way it is. Now, notice what happens right here. They throw him over. Verse 15, they took Jonah, threw him overboard, and the raging sea grew calm. So they knew it was a divine act of God's judgment. Verse 16, at this, the men greatly feared the Lord, and they offered a sacrifice to the Lord and made vows to him. How many of y'all would be worshiping that God now? Amen. A storm comes out the middle of nowhere. You throw a guy over the, over the side, and now the storm goes away. You're like, man, God, you're awesome. It's a little weird we had to do that, but we're so thankful we're alive. Amen. Now, watch what happens here in verse 17. 
Don't take off your thinking cap. Don't think you got to be irrational. Don't think that you got to treat the Bible like it's the Lord of the Rings, a myth, or, you know, Avengers. Read this just like you read everything else and believe it, and I'll give you good reasons to believe it. Now, the Lord provided a huge fish to swallow Jonah, and Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. Okay. Let's just talk about that. I have on my notes, fish, you can, highlight, you can see the highlight there. You can click on it, and then you'll see the references that I give you to this. Just stay right here, though, please. First of all, the idea that Jonah was swallowed by a whale is something we added into the story because whale is not there. The word fish is there. So sometimes people who are smart will try to be smarty pants and say to you, guys, you believe Jonah was swallowed by a whale? And you're like, yeah, I believe it. Well, a whale's not a fish, dummy. Fish breathe through their gills. A whale is a mammal. It has to come up for air. See how stupid your Bible is? Well, the first thing is our Bible never even called a fish a whale. It just said a fish. We thought it could be a whale. That's where theologians came along because whales are big kind of fish. But here's the thing. When people bring up the issue of the difference between a fish and a mammal, this was written in 700 BC. They didn't have the same definitions you and I do. So what did they call something that lived in the water? A fish. A whale is a fish. That thing is a fish. This crazy thing is a fish. Oh, these are all fishes. That was just the way they talked about it. That's like the same way when people come to us and go, show me dinosaurs. Are they in the Bible? And we're like, dude, the word dinosaur was invented in the 1800s. How about Leviathan? That's found there. Or big lizard? That's found there. You know, the idea is the name should not be applied to what we now call that name. What they would call a fish is not what we would call a fish. We, don't, we make the difference between fish and mammal. For them, anything that lived in the water was a fish. Amen. Can I get amen to that? Just put on your thinking, put on your thinker, okay? And use your brain and it will make sense. And I'm, and I'm, it's not irrational. Okay, now the next question is, how in the world could he get swallowed up and live? Well, that's the first thing that I think a lot of people misunderstand, is that how do we know he's alive? I actually believe he was dead, and I'm going to show you that in a few moments. There are two major views of how this happened. The first major view is my view, which is he actually drowns and dies. Fish swallows him up, preserves him. God brings him back from the dead like Lazarus was raised from the dead, and others in the Bible are raised from the dead. He comes back from that death experience. He prays, he repents, and he says, now I'm ready to go if you'll give me another chance. And then he gets spit out. So that it gives us the reasons to why he doesn't need oxygen. He's dead. He doesn't need to eat. He's dead. He's literally a dead body that's been swallowed up by a peaceful sea creature. Whales that are mammals can do that and big sharks. Not the kind of great white sharks that have huge teeth, but sharks that are like whales. That link has it there. They're just big old fish. They breathe through their gills. They're called a shark. They're not a whale. They could swallow up somebody whole. There's stories of people being swallowed up like that before. Some say they survived. We don't know how true it is. And then we have found things in whales, whales and these big shark stomachs, which could be possibly the size of a person. But even if you don't buy that, the other one is that God gave him supernatural ability to live inside of this whale. Could not God give him supernatural ability? So is God able? The same God that said in the beginning he created the heavens and the earth, is he able to make a miracle happen to where the acid doesn't harm the person or where he's getting oxygen through another source that, that maybe God's just providing it inside the stomach? All of those different things. Yes, yes, yes. But I think the simplest way to get it, and we'll understand why I believe this in just a moment, from his prayer, the prayer that he says in the, the fish that gets them then spit out, it will really tell you the story, I think, of a man and drowning, then being put into the mouth of a peaceful fish and kept there until the fish spits him out. Now, just in case you don't want to accept either one of those, you're like, dude, that's just dumb. I don't believe God would do either one of those things. Let's just see if you think Jesus is dumb. Let's go to Matthew chapter 12, verse 39. Somebody say, Jesus believed it. So here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to stake what I believe about Jonah on Jesus. So whenever I go to the Old Testament and I have questions about it, can you put the scripture up, please? Whenever I have questions about it, I go back to how Jesus believed it. So when we talk about six days of creation, did Jesus believe that or did he believe in evolution? Jesus believed in six days of creation. I'm trusting that one. How many trust Jesus? Yeah. 
Amen. How many know that Jesus talks about Noah? So I trust that the world was flooded. So whenever Jesus speaks on something in the Old Testament, I take his word. When Jesus said that prophets had prophecies that predated him by hundreds of years, some of them thousands of years, if Jesus believed that, I believe that. So let's go to Matthew chapter 12, verse 38. It says, Then some of the Pharisees and teachers of the law said to him, Teacher, we want to see a sign from you. So these Jews didn't believe that Jesus was the Messiah. Jesus then answered them and said, A wicked and adulterous generation asked for a sign. Now go back to them casting lots. You see, they want God to do a miracle for them, and he's saying, y'all ain't pagans. You are supposed to know me because you got the word. That's why you're asking for it is because you're wicked and you're not following it. So that's why I was trying to tell you before, don't you go back into pagan traditions to try to get a word from the Lord. Yeah, a Muslim might get spoken to at the Kaaba there in Mecca, but that doesn't mean you now go to the Kaaba to try to get a message from the Lord. Get a message from the Lord from his word and believe it because a wicked and adulterous, a morally corrupt generation, they ask for those signs, okay? So don't you ask for those signs. But it says, for there will be no sign given to this generation but the sign of Jonah, who was three days and three nights in the belly of a huge fish, so that the Son of Man will be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. You're in the wrong translation. Go back that way, sir, and get into the NIV, please, because I want you to see verse 41. The Bible then goes on to say, the men of Nineveh will stand up at the judgment with this generation and condemn it, for they repented at the preaching of Jonah, and now something greater than Jonah is here. Thank you. Yeah, you're still in the wrong translation. Let, let me help you out. Let me help you out. You got to go up here, sir, and then I want you guys to see this here. This is, this is where we got to go into the word, because I want you guys to get it. Somebody say, someone greater than Jonah is here. So he says, you're not going to get a sign except the sign of Jonah. And how was Jesus in the grave? Was Jesus alive in the grave or was he dead? So how do I think Jonah was in the belly of the well? Dead, because it's the same sign. But this is the sign of the Messiah. That's why I go there. But then notice what he says. The men of Nineveh actually listened to what Jonah said because he's going to eventually get there and preach. They listened to him. But he's saying, y'all ain't listening to me. And it's going to be so bad for you on judgment. The men of Nineveh will stand up at the judgment with this generation. And what? And condemn it for they repented at the preaching of Jonah and now someone greater is here and you're not listening to him. That's why I was telling you before, my hands are clean, baby, and I will be at your judgment day. And when he puts down the gavel, I'll be like, yeah, that's right. That's right. That's right. You tell him, Jesus. You tell him. But listen, I don't want that now, nor does Jesus want that now. He was pleading with them because he loves them. Remember, if God did not love the Ninevites, why is he sending Jonah to go tell them he's going to judge them? Why not just destroy them? If God doesn't love us, then why is he preaching to us? If, why am I preaching this way to you? I love you because I don't want to see you judge. I'm telling you what the judge said. Amen? Okay, so let's go back now to the story of Jonah. So I believe it because Jesus said it. There's nothing contradictory about it. It makes perfect sense. Now let me explain from chapter 2, verse 1, why I believe this man drowned, died, got swallowed up, and then spit out. Jonah now says his prayer right before he gets spit out. So he was there three days and three nights. He now says this prayer in the whale and then gets spit out. What's his prayer? Verse 1 of chapter 2. From inside the fish, Jonah prayed to the Lord his God. He said, in my distress, I called to the Lord, and he answered me. I think when he's in distress is when they just tossed him over. <laughs> That was like, oh, God, help me. You know, he's drowning, basically. Let's keep going. From deep in the realm of the dead, I called for help. So where is he in the realm of? The realm of the dead. He's drowning. He's going to the place of the dead, which would be paradise if he was saved, Hades or hell if he wasn't. And some people argue that he actually went to hell, and they have a whole other set of beliefs about that. I just don't know. He could have went to heaven. God was merciful, but, you know, because he was running from his call, he was getting punished. Or he might have been the kind of backslider that really went to hell, and God gave him a taste of hell, and he came out. But he went down to the place of the dead, and it says, you listened to my cry. Verse 3, you hurled me into the depths, into the very heart of the seas, and the currents swirled about me. Doesn't that sound like somebody drowning? Yeah. 
All your waves and breakers swept over me. I said, I have been banished from your sight, yet I will look again towards your holy temples. The engulfing waters threatened me. The deep surrounded me. Seaweed wrapped around my head. How many of you drowning like that? To the roots of the mountains, I sank down deep. He's going down to the bottom of the ocean. The earth beneath barred me in forever. So he was barred in there forever. But you, Lord my God, brought my life up. Up from the pit. So he was either dead or knocked out close to dead. So I don't think literally, even if you take the other example that God just did a miracle to sustain him, I don't think like he's alive in there, like writing poetry, like tickling the whale. Like he's knocked out for three days, okay? I mean, he's, he's not okay in there. It's not chill for him or he's dead. So then it goes on in verse seven. It says, when my life was ebbing away, I remembered you, Lord, and my prayer rose to you, to your holy temple. So this is what I think. He's right before he dies. He's, he's just saying, God, have mercy on me. I've done wrong. Be, you know, be compassionate to me. And then now look at verse eight. Those who cling to worthless idols turn away from God's love for them. Does everybody get that right there? So does anybody go to hell without God loving them. No. Anybody that's in hell right now is there because they did what? They turned away from God's love and grabbed a hold of something else. There is not one person that's ever going to face God's judgment that can say, you didn't love me. You didn't help me, God. You didn't tell me the truth. No, every single one of us have a conscience on the inside of us. Think about it. Do you know that animals can eat their young and feel no problems with it? They can eat each other's young in their battles, and they have no problem with it. But if any one of us here had to watch any kind of a cannibalistic thing like that, it would gross all of us out because we're all sensitive to that. Do you know that animals have sex with each other? Perversion and rape exist in the animal kingdom. They don't even know the idea of being polite to their mate or any of those things. But if you heard of a child being raped, if you heard of a woman or a man being raped, you would be grieved. Why? Because all of us have down deep a conscience. That conscience is the love of God like a magnet drawing us to God. And even if you haven't heard the gospel, even if you haven't been in church and you're in a different nation or a different religion, the Bible says he is reaching out to those people so that they can find him. Can I show you that in Acts chapter 17? Quickly go with me to Acts chapter 17 before we finish this story because I want to show you there is no one on this entire planet that God's love has not reached out to. Acts chapter 17 shows that Paul was in a pagan city called Athens and he was preaching and he gets to verse 26, Acts chapter 17 verse 26 and look at what he says. He says, from one man, talking about God, he made how many of the nations? All the nations. Come on, follow along in your Bible, right? From one man, he made how many of the nations? All the nations, thank you, that they should inhabit the whole earth. And he marked out their appointed times in history. So he marked out the Aztecs. He marked out the Romans. He, he marked out the Zulu nation. He marked out the different Chinese, Chinese dynasties. He did all of that. That's why we're the culture we are, born in the generation we're born in. He did that. It was God's determination for you to be male or female, alive at this time, at this culture, in this generation. Now look at verse 27. Why did God do this? God did this so that they would what? They would seek him, thank you, and perhaps reach out for him, come on, and find him, thank you, though he is not far from any of us. I said all of that to say this, God is not far from you. God is not far from this nation. God is reaching out to every single one of us. The question is very simple, like how Jonah said, are we reaching back to his love? Or are we clinging on to something else? Anything that's not God that you're clinging on to will become an idol and take you away from God. That's why the Bible says you can't serve two masters. You will love one and hate the other, hate one or love the other. You can't hold on to this world, my friends. Have you ever just seen how just beautiful this world looks like from space? Have you just seen it? And I want to tell you something. No matter how beautiful this world is, even if you inherited the whole thing, your God says to you, in the end, if you lose your soul, you are a loser. Even as beautiful as the world is from space, I got this Apple TV thing, and when it goes to screensaver, it shows the pictures from the satellite, and right now we're seeing Mars from these other pictures from that rover that's there. I mean, creation is so beautiful, and God is saying, even if you owned it all, and you miss my love, it's worthless. Yeah. 
It's worthless. My career as a pastor is worthless if I miss God. This idol of being a pastor can't compare to knowing Jesus because I know, I know preachers that don't know Jesus. My family, no matter how beautiful they are, no matter how amazing they are, are worthless compared to my God who gave them to me because they're but dust. They're but dust. They're not going to be here forever. And they can't take their little precious hands and go down into my soul and fix me where I hurt. No matter how much when I love them and I smile at them, they, they touch my heart. They can't go to those deepest parts where I'm broken and hurting and lonely and evil. But Jesus goes right there and he heals me and he makes me new. And that's what Jonah shouts out. Those who cling to worthless idols turn away from God's love for them. But I, with shouts of grateful praise, will sacrifice to you. Is there anybody at Metro Praise with a praise this morning? Come on, shout out hallelujah. Hallelujah. Amen. What I have vowed, I will make good. I will say salvation comes from the Lord. How many know he's ready to preach? He's ready to preach now. And the Lord commanded the fish, and it vomited Jonah onto dry ground. So in summary, Jonah gets a word to go preach about the wickedness to Nineveh, the largest city in the world at that time. He says, no, I ain't going to do that. He runs away, gets on a boat. The boat goes through a, a huge storm. He says, throw me over. He gets thrown over. He basically dies and drowns. But God is merciful, swallows him up with a fish. And then he comes to after that death experience, and he says, God, I understand it now. I know who you are. I know what you're about. In other words, spit me out. I'm ready to go. So now, after he gets spit out, chapter 3, verse 1, then the word of the Lord came to Jonah a second time. Come on, how many know he's going to listen the second time? Is there anybody here that needed the Lord to speak to you a second time? <laughs> how many are on your third time? Amen. That's why I'm telling you, you don't know if there's going to be a fourth, so take the third. I've been baptized three times. I was baptized once as an eight-year-old, just like my, my daughter Bethany back there. I knew Jesus. I wanted Jesus. But by the time I reached my teenage years, I walked away from the Lord, said, I don't want him anymore. And around 15 years old, my friends were getting saved in the youth group. And I said, okay, I want Jesus. I'm going to go after Jesus now. And I gave my heart to God at a youth group. And I started going to church. And my mom bought me a brand new Bible. But then the world pulled me back in. Man, I wanted drugs. I wanted sex. I wanted partying. And I remember taking a Bible just like this, a $100 Bible, and ripping it up in front of my mom saying, F God, I'm done. That was the second time I got baptized, and I backslid. And then at the age of 18, when I thought my life was over, I asked my mother to put me in a mental hospital, November 5th, 1995, three years after I ripped up a Bible. I said, I'll do whatever you ask me to do. And she said, you don't need a mental hospital. All you need is Jesus. And I can only tell you that was, that was real for me. Some of y'all need a mental hospital and Jesus. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> y'all need both. No, I'm kidding. Some of y'all thought I was mean for that. Okay. I love you. Your pastor loves you. But I know I needed that word because I wanted somebody else to fix me. My mom knew my problems. And she said, no, only Jesus can fix what you got going on. And I want to tell you, I didn't even think about getting rebaptized. Why? Because I was embarrassed. I still hung around the same people from that church. I didn't want to get baptized again. So I was in Bible college learning how to baptize. So if you wonder what pastors do in Bible college, you actually learn how to baptize. In the school, we were at a pool baptizing each other, practicing. Uh, we were practicing weddings and all those different things. But in the baptism pool, I thank God for Pastor Sutherland. Wade Sutherland was an African-American man that was one to the Lord in Chicago in a beautiful church who moved down to the south, the pastor. He treated me like a son, and I say that because, you know what? When we come to God, we're one family. There's one race, the human race. Amen. That black man loved this white boy like he was my daddy. Amen. And he taught me how to preach, and so many of the things I do right now I got from him, and he's passed away and gone home to be with the Lord, and I've never been to a more beautiful funeral. They were clapping and singing. His wife was praising God because we all told the stories about this amazing man. Even though we were sad, he was gone, but we knew where he was. And that's the way we should go out. Amen, as soldiers. But anyways, he said, he said, is there anybody here in this class, y'all need to get baptized for real? 
And then he went through it. And he said, if you've been a backslider and you knew you had to get back right with God in the kind of way where you knew if you would have died, you would have went to hell. He said, you need to get in this pool right now and give your life to God again afresh and not be afraid and get dunked and show everybody you are going to live for Jesus. Man, he had me convinced and I believed it and I teach it ever since then. Some people say, well, you know, I don't believe in all that. I just want to be baptized once. Okay, then to miss out on what I had that day because it didn't cost me anything to get in that pool and for that man of God to dunk me down. But I'll tell you what, it brought me more than what I could ever buy, what any conference could ever give me. It wasn't like I was saved that day. I had been saved before. But what it did is it renewed me to believe that my old man had been dead and buried and my new man was alive. Amen. So how many can say a second or third time is going to work on you this time? Amen. So that third baptism for me is over. And I can tell you this as God as my witness, as real as I'm preaching to you now, God has told me, that's it, son. That's it. So I'm not backsliding again because I think if I do, I'm dying like my sister. I'm going out. The devil's going to take advantage of it. He's going to say, get him now, wreck that car into this car, hit him hard, give him, that, give him that lace drug, or give him with that girl that has AIDS, or do this to him. Demons, we got that last chance at him. Put every gun at him and take him out now. So I'm not going out, amen? I'm staying in Jesus' precious arms as his sheep. And we all should have the fear of the Lord like that because you're not promised another time around the mountain to go backslide and come back. Sometimes people want to say, oh, I'll just do it over. I'll just divorce this person, get have an affair, come back to church a little bit later. You are not promised to do over, amen? amen? Then the word of the Lord came to Jonah a second time. Go to that great city of Nineveh and proclaim to, the, to it the message I give you. Jonah obeys. Let me say, we'll obey. Amen. Jonah obeyed the word of the Lord, went to Nineveh. Now, Nineveh was a very large city. It took three days to go through it. Jonah began by going a day's journey into the city, and look at what he proclaimed. For 40 days, no, in 40 days, rather, Nineveh will be overthrown, and the Ninevites believed God. Can I get Vinny to come up here? Somebody say they believed. Did they shout back at him and say, who are you to judge us? You're just a man. Look at you. Don't judge me. No, he is literally walking around going in 40 days. Everything you see here is going to be laid waste. And these guys believed it. Men and women believed it. They go, okay, I can't force this generation to believe it, but I'm going to be a Jonah and preach it. I want to say that again. I can't force them to believe it, but I'm going to preach it. Are there any other Jonas in this place today? You're not responsible for whether or not they believe it. You're responsible to preach it. I can tell them, as surely as you are celebrating his first coming, where Jesus split B.C. to A.D., we all mark our calendars by that man, where Jesus' name is the most popular name in all the world, the Bible most read book, and Christianity grows faster than any world religion. As sure as that is true, he is coming now on a white horse to judge the world. Do you believe it? The Ninevites believed it. They go, amen, we believe this. A fast was proclaimed. That's when you stop eating and you just pray. And all of them, from the greatest to the least, put on sackcloth. The sackcloth material is like a potato sack. It's, it's scratchy and itchy. And they put it on themselves to show that they were going to be humble, not wear nice clothes, not eat nice food. Verse 6, when Jonah's warning reached the king of Nineveh, he rose from his throne, took off his royal robes, covered himself with sackcloth, and sat down in the dust. This is the proclamation he issued in Nineveh. And if you look right there, I have proclamation highlighted. I have links there because our country has been bamboozled to what Thanksgiving was started as. Now, I always say this when I talk about our history. It's not all right, and I wasn't here, so don't blame it on me. Amen? My people came around the same time your people, from Italy and Poland. My people weren't here for this. But just hear this. Something special happened in this nation that didn't happen in Poland. Something special happened here that didn't happen in Italy, and that was when they came over, it had nothing to do with pilgrims and Native Americans. What the people began to do was call days of fasting and they would make proclamations of prayer on that link. I have George Washington's Thanksgiving address. And then I have Abraham Lincoln's Thanksgiving address. You see, it wasn't until around the 1940s that Roosevelt made Thanksgiving an American holiday, and then it became commercialized, and people trying to sell the idea came up with the pilgrims and the, you know, the, you know, the Native Americans, and then now everybody says how terrible that was. Just forget that. That had nothing to do with it. 
As a matter of fact, there were so many days of prayer in our nation during the time of Abraham Lincoln that one woman spent 40 years uh, petitioning the government to make one day a day of prayer, fasting, and thanksgiving. And it was that that moved Abraham Lincoln to put it in November. And if you read his Thanksgiving address, it has nothing to do with pilgrims. He's repenting for the Civil War. Because we, we forget about that, don't we? I know there's some white privilege, but about 300,000 white people died so people could be free in this country. Like I said, I wasn't there. I don't owe them anything. I don't need to defend them. But he was repenting for the Civil War. He was repenting for widows and people growing up as orphans because they had to fight and murder so that slaves could be free. Repenting for all kinds of things as he was thanking God for the opportunity to live by the commands of God. Let me ask you a question. What do you think would happen if Donald Trump put on sackcloth, took off his suit? Just imagine what that would look like in our world. You take off your suit. He puts on sackcloth, takes ashes out of the fireplace, puts it all over his head, and starts saying this. What would happen if our governor did that? What would happen if our mayor did that? And says, hey, we hear a word from the Lord from the prophets of the land today. And they're telling us Jesus is coming back. And they're telling us Jesus is going to judge our wickedness. And that our perversion of LGBT is wicked. And that our abortion is wicked. And that our violence is wicked. That our corruption is wicked. And so we're going to repent of all of it right now. Do you think that would make a difference in this nation? You see, that's what revival looks like. Imagine a king. Imagine a governor. Imagine your principal saying this. The decree of the king and his nobles. Verse 7, do not let people or animals or herds or flocks taste anything. Do not let them eat or drink, but let people and animals be covered with sackcloth. Let everyone call urgently on God. Let them give up their evil ways and their violence. Who knows? God may relent and with compassion turn from his fierce anger so that we will not perish. Do you notice that he doesn't come back at God and go, God, how dare you? How dare you judge us? What do you think, you're God? <laughs> you notice that? God's God and he can judge us, right? Do you notice he doesn't point his finger back at God and go, well, you shouldn't call this wicked. Assyria was doing everything we were doing, killing their children, being sexually perverse, being violent to each other. It is sickening how, how close we are to their example and that of Babylon. And yet he says, we're going to stop. We're going to stop. We're going to stop. Because maybe God, the creator of heaven and earth, the one who put all this here, the one who put breath in our lungs, maybe he'll relent and have mercy on us. Because I heard a prophet telling us that he doesn't want to do it, but he will. Because it's his character that's at stake. When God saw, verse 10, what they did and how they turned from their evil ways, he relented and did not bring on them the destruction he had threatened. In our culture, we can't even get past God threatening us. God, how dare you threaten Portia and Ellen? Look how beautiful their couple is. God, how dare you threaten Hillary Clinton? She's such a nice person. God, how dare you threaten Bill Gates? He doesn't have to come to church. We get offended that God's acting like God, not these guys. And remember, these guys are going to stand on judgment. When people are getting judged of Jesus' generation, they're going to say, you didn't listen to Jesus. We listened to one man who ran from a call, got puked up on the, the side of our beach. We listened to him. Why didn't y'all listen to Jesus? And then they'll be with this generation too and say, how did you not listen? You had it all right here. You had every command of God right here. It was told clearly he made a male and female. It was clear that children were supposed to be raised in homes. It was clear that you weren't supposed to murder, that you weren't supposed to hate. It was clear there was one race, the human race. Come on, somebody. Is there a Jonah that wants to preach? Now, I want to ask you this. I want to ask you this, because in chapter 4, at the end here, it's going to take me just a few minutes to read, so please be patient. At the end, we're going to hear why Jonah didn't go. So just bear with me here. I'm going to ask you a question. I'm going to give you two options to why Jonah didn't go, and I want to see which one you, thought, you think it was. Did Jonah not go to Nineveh, ran the other way, because A, he was afraid. These guys were wicked. They were crazy. 
He said, man, you guys are going to kill me. I don't want to go there, God. I fear for my life. I'm headed towards Tarshish. I'm going the opposite direction. Was it because he was afraid? He didn't want to go. That's why he ran. Or was it because he didn't want them to be saved? He actually wanted them to go to hell and face God's judgment. He's like, man, they're not, they don't deserve that. They should go right to hell right now. I'm going the other way. So did he run because he was afraid or did he run because he didn't like them? How many think he ran because he was afraid? Raise your hands. Okay, okay, go ahead. How many of you think he ran because he didn't like them? He just wanted them to be judged. Okay, still more voted, just in the same in the first service, because he didn't like them. Let's see why he ran. But to Jonah, this seemed very wrong, and he became angry at God sparing them. Verse 2, he prayed to the Lord, Isn't this what I said, Lord, when I was still at home? This is what I tried to forestall by fleeing to Tarshish. I knew that you are a gracious and compassionate God, slow to anger, abounding in love, a God who relents from sending calamity. Now, Lord, take away my life, for it is better for me to die than it is to live." He didn't want to go because he wanted to see him perish. It actually tells us why he was running. He was arguing with God, going, God, I know if I go, you're going to want to save them, and I don't want them saved. Can I ask you this question? Why is it now in our generation that we got it so twisted that we think the prophets who are speaking to us about the judgment of God are the ones who don't love us, And we think the ones who are avoiding the judgment of God are the ones who love us. I'm going to say it again like this. Why is it we think the doctor that doesn't tell us that we have cancer when we really do is the one that loves us? When we're saying that we want a doctor that lies to us. See, real love says, I want you to change. And I'll come and talk to you about it. See, Jonah was struggling because he didn't really love them. And I look at all these pastors in these cities who run from the judgment of God, and then people fill up their pews, and they say, oh, pastor loves me. Pastor tells me every week how good I am and all this. And I'm like, no, no, no. Pastor really don't love you. This is what he loves. This is what he loves because he knows if he doesn't talk about politics, if he doesn't talk about hypocrisy, if he doesn't talk about morals, then you're going to keep coming, filling up his pockets. But it's the one who loves you who goes, hey, uh, the judge, he made a judgment about you. Can I tell you? I know you're not going to want to hear it. I know you might think that I'm trying to be better than you, but I'm just trying to tell you what the judge said. I'm not a police officer. I'm not a judge. I'm not God, but I can read black and white, and it's pretty clear we need to stop doing this, or he's threatened to do other stuff to us. Now put yourself in that position. Are you just kind of writing off right now the LGBTQ community going, well, just let them go then. The Muslims, well, yeah, just let them go to hell. The Hindus, I don't even know how to talk to them. Let them go. I don't need to go preach to Devon Avenue. I don't need to go. I don't need to go there. I don't need to go down to the west side and preach to those gangbangers. Man, just let them kill each other. Come on. Or are you running to it going, hey, guys, I know you may not want to hear it, but your gods are idols and they're worthless, but my God's alive and he loves you. I know you may not want to hear this, but your lifestyle, it's perverse. That means it's a perversion of the original version and God wants you to repent. Can you do that? Can we be some Jonas that get it right here? Can I hear an amen? He said, I know you are a gracious and compassionate God. Then the Lord says, is it right for you to be angry? Why are you so angry, Jonah? Jonah had gone out then and sat down at the place east of the city. There he made himself a shelter, sat in its shade, and waited to see what would happen to the city. So he's still waiting like, God, come on, just just fry him, God. Then the Lord God provided a leafy plant and made it grow over Jonah to give shade for his head to ease his discomfort. See, God's still dealing with his poopy pants, but it's going to teach him a lesson here. And Jonah was very happy about that plant. But at dawn, the next day, God provided a worm which chewed the plant so that it withered. When the sun rose, God provided an east scorching wind and the sun blazed on Jonah's head so that he grew faint. He wanted to die. See, this guy is just so weak. He's wanting to die all the time now, complaining. I just want to die. He wanted to die and said it would be better for me to die than to live. But God said to Jonah, is it right for you to be angry about the plant? Now he's angry about the plant not being there. He says, it is. I'm so angry I wish I were dead. 
Verse 10, but the Lord said, you have been concerned about this plant, though you did not tend it or make it grow. It sprang up overnight and died overnight. And should I not have concern for the great city of Nineveh, in which there are more than 120,000 people who cannot tell their right hand from their left? And here's God, the, the animaltarian right here, and also many animals. He cared even about the animals. Let me ask you a question. How many of you care about this great city? They don't know their right from their left, though, do they? I heard a preacher tell me the other day, he said, I hate Chicago. He was on a live feed. He said, man, I hate Chicago. He said, being in Chicago reminds me of why God's judgment is coming. I know there's a lot of truth in that, but that just grieved my heart because I'm like, man, we shouldn't talk about the people like that. God still loves Chicago. Have you given up on Chicago? Are you running the other way? Because maybe you're running because you're scared. Or maybe you're running because you don't think anybody's going to get saved. But let me ask you a question. Didn't somebody have to have courage to come talk to you? Didn't somebody have to believe you were worth their time? Man, I promise you, if you would have saw me mooning an abortion protest in my city as an 18-year-old punk skateboarder, you would have said, that's the last one I'll ever see being a preacher. You would have looked at me saying, leave him alone. But you know, when I was skateboarding one time downtown in my hometown, preachers came and talked to us. You see, they loved us. They came to us and preached to us while we were skating. I'm not here to try to make myself out to be a martyr, guys. But I want to lead the example. If your pastor's willing to do this on the streets, then why aren't you? If I'm willing to do this with my the, the hairstylist, why not you? If I'm willing to go to your house and talk to your cousin, why not you? This is what Jonah said, and we should all believe it. God, I know that you are a gracious and compassionate God. You are slow to anger and abounding in love, a God who relents from sending calamity. If you believe that, will you stand up with me today and give it up for Jesus? Come on, we believe that today. Band and altar workers, would you come, please? Let's close out in prayer. Come on, let's close out in prayer right now. Lord, we lift up your word in this place, and we say use us to preach it everywhere we go. If you want to be used by God to preach his word, raise up your hands and say, Lord, use me right now. Come on, use me right now. If you came to this church and you don't know Jesus personally and you want someone to pray with you, you can make your way from your seat right now. Someone will pray for you even as I'm praying. If you don't know Jesus or